You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, queers. Welcome to the final episode of season two. And we saved a legend for last. Today, we talk to advocate, organizer, and storyteller Cecilia Gentili. Thesis on Joan is a podcast dedicated to amplifying voices from the LGBTQ plus community in the New York performing arts scene and examining the industry from a queer perspective. Join us as we sit down with groundbreaking theater folk from Brooklyn cabaret performers to people backstage and on Broadway. For many queers, theater has been an escape. This podcast looks to have open conversations on where we've come from and where we're heading as a community while queering the canon along the way. Hi, Ollie. Hello. Last episode for a minute. I know. And like, it's almost the end of 2021, what? which is very strange. Yeah. I don't even know where this year went. No, it yeah. was as speedy as last year was long. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we're recording this like mid November. It's coming out beginning of December. Whether we like it or not, people are already telling us the holidays are coming. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Halloween is kind of the start of the holidays for me. Like, I'm like, oh, great. They are here. They've arrived. (laughs) They've arrived. Halloween is ushering them in. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. I I feel like I need to look at it that way. Um, But I feel like every year we're starting to get more and more like, here's a queer holiday movie or here's a queer, like, Mm -hmm. for better or worse, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Is there a holiday and take this as broad as you want to holiday (laughs) tradition or like artistic piece that you would like to queer or see queered. Oh, wait, what do you mean? Artistic piece? Like, yeah, that's, that was broad too. Like a movie. (laughs) Um, I see like a holiday artistic piece. I see. I see. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, Halloween is probably my favorite holiday. Also why I get excited Mm -hmm. for that. So, um, I love, any like queer Halloween stories. I have recently become uh, more into horror, scary movies because my partner uh, loves them and she makes me watch them. And so now like my tolerance has definitely built up. Um, Cause I remember like one of the first scary movies I saw in college uh, was this like French horror film called 
I don't remember what it was called. It was a French horror film, and my we were watching it with a group of my friends, and my friend was like, Holly, you're going to love it. It's gay. And they're lesbians. And I'm like, done. I'm in. Um, <laughs> flash forward to me, like, hiding under a blanket and then crying halfway through the movie because I was so scared. Mm-hmm. And my friend was like, do you want to leave and go back to your dorm? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I kind of want to watch it now because I feel like I could handle it now. But, um, yeah, that was not, that was, it was a really intense movie. I I wouldn't recommend to start with that. Uh, but yeah, if we could get more queer Halloween stories, I would love that. Queer horror just works so well. I feel like too. Yeah. But not in a tropey way. Like I want someone to really, yeah. Like the horror is like heteronormativity or, you know, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll just like put the queers in it to kill them kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. What was the name of that movie? That you- uh, it was, um, it's called high tension and it is, it does live up to its name and there, uh, spoiler alert, there's a dog that dies. So no, you don't have oh. to, does the dog die? That's important. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I think, the first time I cried was when the dog died. <laughs> I think for me, like, for the holidays, just, like, we could do more, like, queering the idea of gathering around the holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I'm, like, so pumped to be here for Thanksgiving this year. <laughs> we get to hang out together. And I was talking to my friend today who has always been in the city and he's like, yeah, staying in the city for Thanksgiving is the best because you just get to go to all your friends' house and hang out with the people you don't have time to see. And I was like, yeah, that's what holidays <laughs> are supposed to be about <laughs> rather than like stressing yourself out about getting to a place that you're supposed to be, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think for the holidays, like querying the idea of gathering and the idea of who we, air quotes, should be gathering with and spending time with. Um is interesting to me. So Yeah. I can't first of all, I can't that. believe that you like traveling for Thanksgiving is the norm for you because yeah, I did that like twice and like, oh no, never again. Um yeah. yeah, I also think about that too as like someone who I'm not sure if I'm gonna have kids or not, like what that will look like, you know, when my parents pass on, like what the holidays will be, if it's just like me and my partner or like I you know will it be hanging out with our other queer friends who also don't have kids or like going to their, their or friends who do have kids and hanging out with them? Like, what is that mm-hmm. going to look like? Um, you know, my, my family is pretty small and that, but Lucy's family is huge. So we'll see, but yeah, just like right. queering what family is and, and gatherings. That's so true. Yeah. It's like, I feel like there's a lot of the, the norm is to think of like, well, you'll make your own traditions like with your partner or with like your what is traditionally thought of as a nuclear family. But mm-hmm. I feel like the past year and a half or so has taught us like you already have your family. Like just make your traditions now with the people who are already your chosen family. Mm-hmm. And I know this isn't news to a lot of people, but it's like a new thing for me to think about. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Well, I'm excited to, to celebrate some of the upcoming holidays with you, and that'll be a nice, fun new tradition. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm excited for mac and cheese. Yeah, I bought all the ingredients yesterday. <laughs> I'm excited. Great. <laughs> and 24 Hawaiian rolls. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs>
Oh, I love Hawaiian rolls so much. They're so good. They're amazing. So we had the pleasure to see just yesterday Luciana Gas, uh, which is by one of our former guests, Javier Rivera de Bruin, and produced by um, an also a former guest, uh, National Queer Theater mm-hmm. folks. Um, it's directed by Carlos Armesto, and it's at the 14th Street Y. Uh, unfortunately, when this podcast comes out, it will have ended on November 30th, but I'm so glad we got to go see this show together. Yeah, it was, what a cool space too. I've never been to 14th Street Y and I know they do a ton of off, off, off stuff. So, um, it was, I, I know I said this to you when we walked in Holly, but I'm like, oh my gosh, like a production. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a set, there's costumes, there's like, it was so thrilling to just see like, a show that had a set that sounds mm-hmm. so basic but it was it was really cool to just walk into a new space and be like oh there's a lot to discover here before the show even starts mm. you know yeah I think what struck me was like I'm like oh this is like a human body in space right next to me like I can hear their breathing and I can hear like their footsteps on the floor and like you don't mm-hmm. get that and like Broadway productions really, or like watching TV or recorded production. Like I just like all the noises that humans make. I'm like, ah, oh, it's there. It's right here. Yeah. That felt really yeah, striking. Very close to the performers. So it was like, I don't know. I was aware of like how they were aware of our bodies in the space too, mm-hmm. which is like so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was so cool to see Javier's work like in person after reading some of their work and Mm -hmm. um like I feel like Javier has such like a very amazing vivid magical realism imagination so to be able to like see that off the page was like thrilling definitely yeah and they have so many themes of like family and generational drama and trauma and love and uh I just love all the themes that they're working with um and just really like sympathetic for all of their characters. Like, uh, you know, I guess we can talk spoilers, but like, I just mm-hmm. found the, the middle mom so sympathetic and relatable. Like she had to make really hard choices about her keeping her family or choosing her art because our industry isn't set up to support families mm-hmm. and especially like single parents. Um, so she, yeah, she was put in a really tough position that like, you know, a lot of folks have to make, um, yeah. if they can pursue the arts or not. It was really just like, here's the issue that this character is up against. There was no like vilifying the choice that she made. It was just like, isn't this shitty that this is what people have to decide between. Yeah. And I could see like, but I also can like see it from their perspective of like her daughter or her child and the mother Mm -hmm. of like, oh, this is such a selfish choice like how could you make this and Mm -hmm. you know like you can't come back to your family yeah it was a great cast I was like very I thought everyone was like so the roles felt very lived in for such a Mm -hmm. short run production like Mm -hmm. I think we saw it on its second week and it was like oh it feels like these people have been inhabiting these characters for forever and I have to say it I know that we were both like love Javier's uh ongoing trope of a kind of wacky old white man coming to dinner (laughs) so great in both of the plays that we've experienced by them it's like there's always some random old white dude like coming into the pictures yeah it was 
it's it's so it's so interesting to see though and just like how out of place like a cis straight white man is in that world mm-hmm. and like good like I like wanted him to feel so uncomfortable and you know yeah. um have to deal with his privilege and and confronting like the issues that this family was facing and I feel like because we're seeing this as an audience for national queer theater I mean I'm I am also a white cis woman right so I I feel like there are ways that I align with that character more but being in an audience that is presumably mostly queer or you know some sort of identity that is not cis white men is you are kind of like laughing at him rather than being like oh I feel uncomfortable like this guy Mm -hmm. you know where I feel like if this show was in a certain audience that character would be a reflection of the audience but not necessarily in this this production which I thought was really cool yeah, Luciana Gas on Broadway, everyone's going to be <laughs> more in the George bucket. Yep, everyone's going to be George. <laughs> I wouldn't want to see, you know, it with that kind of audience. Like, it's so much mm-hmm. better in a small space with, you know, presumably a pretty queer audience. It was really, like, unapologetic about, I mean, as it should be, of, like, not trying to over-explain things. You know what I mean? There was a lot of, like... Um, kind of like ancestral references and different things that probably have a much more historical significance than we realize, but it wasn't like, let me stop and explain this to you. Yeah. You know, it's like, here's, here's the world that I've made and you know, you're, you're, you get to witness it. So mm-hmm. good for you kind of thing. So it was great. Yeah. The one thing I wish that like they could have done, uh, but I understand why they couldn't. It was like when they were lighting um, the fires and like cooking the food. Like I wanted, it was such like a sensory heavy play mm-hmm. with like all the food. They made so many meals like on stage and like lit a bunch of fires. And I just like wanted to be able to smell like yeah. all the smells. Uh, Cause it all, it, it made me so hungry already. Just like thinking about all the yeah. food they were making, <laughs> but I was like, Oh, I want to smell it. Um and it was like a cold day yesterday. So like, mm-hmm. I feel like we were sitting fire adjacent. We would have been thrilled. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. We could do like, a, I would love to see like a site specific kind oh, yeah. of production of this <laughs> with like in the woods, in a cabin, real fire. Yeah. <laughs> Javier, we will go wherever you put this in a cabin. Yeah. Go see it. <laughs> that would be very cool. That yeah. Would be awesome. That'd be so fun. I also, I loved, um, so much of like the Mal, the queer character, like needing to get in touch with their like inner child, like inner, mm-hmm. I don't know how, you know, Javi would explain it, but like having, like getting in touch with themselves. And I'm like, oh, I see so much of that in myself, like allowing myself to be like silly and playful and, um, mm-hmm. you know, like your inner child. I, I really love that that concept that theme throughout the show too and also just like the that's something I was thinking about they gave us like that little exit survey right mm-hmm. and I was like and look, also just like the the queering oh it's just not like a colonized view of like the grieving process mm. of like in this play the grandmother comes back and is in the room as they do like their grieving ritual which mm. is like 
you know, presented kind of, I mean, George is freaked out, but besides that, it's like, <laughs> this is just how it's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how we're going to process this, this death experience. And, um, yeah, that there are other ways to experience these life events that aren't necessarily what people would view as like, quote unquote, typical. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I appreciate that the mom like didn't go to the funeral and she's like, oh, that's not how I, I need to grieve my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Great show. Yeah. Congrats to everyone involved. Uh, and you saw another production that had one of our former guests. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? I did. And I like didn't even realize it had one of our former guests until like a week out <laughs> before I saw it. Um, but yeah, I got a chance to see Is This a Room, which again, sadly, by the time this is released, will have ended its Broadway run. It was playing in um, rep with Dana H. Um, but yeah, it was such a like interesting like, I love that it was on Broadway. I'm shocked that it was on Broadway because right? it's a <laughs> documentary piece of a transcript of an FBI interview, um, which is super in- interesting. People should look up kind of how it was made and the origins of the actual piece. But but for our purposes, it was very exciting to see Becca Blackwell in the role of unknown male, which first off, incredible <laughs> that that's the name of the role. Um, but yeah, Becca was... I think this is Becca's Broadway debut, but I'm not a hundred. I, I, I think I so. Like- yeah. Cause I remember when they, mm-hmm. right. Cause when they were talking to us about Hurricane Diane, that was like their off Broadway debut, which also felt wild. <laughs> right. It's shocking. Cause yeah. they've been working in the industry for how long. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So what other opportunity would they have had? Broadway just reopened. Um, but it was so great to see them as like the comic relief of this very intense political play mm-hmm. you know it was like <laughs> i it was if like our listeners have seen their work before it makes sense that they are that the person that was in that role you know because <laughs> they're like able to like relieve tension in a very like interesting way and mm-hmm. um but yeah they also were like just very I was obsessed with their like super butch like FBI look <laughs> going on. It was so great. Um I feel like this production will probably have another like it's our, this is already the third mounting of it, you know, mm-hmm. and like the the woman whose story it depicts is not yet out of like the prison system. So I feel like mm-hmm. it's still very relevant. Um so people might have a chance to see it again, but yeah. Very exciting Broadway debut for Becca Blackwell and um, just excited that this show had that kind of platform too. It mm-hmm. was it was great to see it in a huge Broadway theater. Yeah. yeah. It's so exciting that people we've had on the show are now in shows that we can go see or like, yeah, it's, it's very exciting. So great. I know they're doing, doing the thing they want to do. Mm-hmm. Makes me so happy. Yeah. So. Today's action of the app is to learn more about so this is inspired by Holly and I's trip yesterday to the Bureau of General Services Queer Division, which is probably the best bookstore in the city. Just yeah. kind of go ahead I and mean, say it's that. It's the only <laughs> queer bookstore in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say Blue Stockings the- kind of is, but it's I think it's more of like a feminist bookstore. But yeah. Yeah. If you're really looking for like the full range of queer literature, like they got it there for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but the center also has their own advocacy platform. It's called Rise Out, the People's Platform. 
So Rise Out is a statewide advocacy initiative in collaboration with community leaders across New York State fighting to advance equity and inclusion for transgender and gender nonconforming people, increase access to mental health services, promote restorative justice principles, ensure LGBTQ visibility, and affirmation and demand economic justice. So there are multiple ways to be a part of Rise Out. So you can take one of the following steps today. You can contact your representatives using their form and script to demand representation for LGBTQ New Yorkers. You can sign up for the Mobile Advocacy Network to stay up to date on ways that you can help the mission of Rise Out. Volunteer with the action team to help train others in advocacy skills and plan advocacy campaigns. And you can check out the Advocacy Bootcamp. It's an online resource guide to grow and refine your skills as an activist. So you can find out more by visiting gaycenter.org slash advocacy. And I'd say while we're on hiatus, keep looking for your own action of the apps. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that need to be acted upon in our world right now. Yeah. And share them with us so we can message it out to everyone. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I'm so excited that this week we are talking to Cecilia Gentili. She is such a badass, uh, and I can't wait to share this interview. Cecilia Gentili is an advocate, organizer, and storyteller working at the intersections of sex work, immigrant rights, incarceration issues, and trans liberation. Originally from Argentina, Cecilia comes to the United States and survived for 10 years as an undocumented immigrant, gaining a living through sex work. She has years of experience working in direct services with organizations like the LGBT Center and Apicha Community Health Center, which led to her moving into policy work, becoming the director of policy at GMHC before creating Trans Equity Consulting to advocate directly for better policy for trans people at the local, state, and federal level. Cecilia is also a founding member of Decrim NY, a coalition working towards the decriminalization, decarceration, and destigmatization of people in the sex trade. Hi, Cecilia. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, I am so happy to be here with you all, and uh, thank you for having me. Of course, we are so excited to have to have you on with us. Uh, and we usually start with guests having to share their name, their pronouns, and whatever you want to share about how you identify. Yes, um, my name is Cecilia. Uh, uh, my name is Cecilia Maria Gentili. Um, I usually don't share my my middle name, but I I, I, I think I feel empowered to do that. 
Um, Cecilia Maria Gentili. Um, I use uh, gender pronouns she and her. Um, and, you know, identity is complicated. I've been, like, you know, trying to question myself and thinking about, like, what, who am I in terms of identity? So, you know, I'm so many things that form, like, who I am. Um, I think I, uh, I, I always have, like, this, uh, you know, kind of internal fight in between, like, well, what should I go first? A woman or a trans person or an immigrant. So I, I say I'm, 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 I'm a trans feminine immigrant. Those are the, the ones, the, the parts of my identity that define me the most. <clears throat> I am a former sex worker. Um, and, uh, that also makes, uh, m- makes my identity uh, a very specific one. Um, I am a person who um, is in um, recovery. I don't know if we should call it recovery. I just haven't used uh, most of the drugs that I had issues with uh, for, for, for about 10 years. Um, so I, I don't want to say that I'm in recovery because all the people who are in specific forms of recovery may question it. Um, so, but that forms who I am too. Uh, and um, I am a survivor of uh, sexual violence and that, that forms a lot of who I am. And um, yeah, that's, 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 that's who I am. Thank you so much for sharing all of that and the many facets that make you who you are. Um, and, Speaking of who you are, uh, we want to talk a little bit about your autobiographical work. Um, so your one-person show, The Knife Cuts Both Ways, um, you performed it a few times pre-pandemic. Can you tell us more about the show? And hopefully, will there be a chance to see it or something else you're working on soon? Yes. Uh, well, it was a, um I think the show has been one of the most uh, empowering process that I have experienced as an adult. Um, I have tried to be involved in uh, the artistic spheres uh, always, uh, you know, since I was a child, I went to music school, I started doing theater, uh, but as a queer person, uh, those spaces were not really available for uh, for me. Um, you know, um, it was hard for me to play like, you know, uh, uh, characters that were like boys when I was like a young person. It just didn't make sense. And like mm-hmm. it translated and as, as if I was not a good actor. Mm-hmm. And in reality, it was that they were not good characters for me to play, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I, and, and then, for example, like, you know, I went to music school and then when I started my transition, it was not an, an, an opportunity to, to do both, right? Be trans and a person in the music world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always had, you know, grudges a little bit with the artistic 
uh, world and um, with the academic uh, world because, like, you know, I didn't feel like I could belong to those places. And, um, and artistic forms have historically followed an academic uh, point of view. Mm-hmm. So the show was a great opportunity to just show my artistic self and uh, and it became out of nowhere. It, it, it became an actual thing out of nowhere. It's not like I sat in a place and said, like, I'm going to create a show, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, one time uh, I was asked to do uh, a story in, in a storytelling show and somebody had to explain to me what storytelling was. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this thing that I do is art. <laughs> you know? And um, and I told a story. I remember a, a, I told a story with Janet Mock. And I was like, wait, I'm sharing the stage with Janet Mock? What the fuck is going on here? You know? <laughs> Uh, and uh, and I told a story, and that people loved it. People loved it, and from then, other people started asking me to to tell other stories. Um, a very good uh, friend of mine. Uh, sometimes they uh, refer to them as my children. I I have issues with motherhood, so I I don't call them my children, but they can call me their mom, if they want to. I just don't call them my children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, uh, her name is Serena Jara. She's an amazing photographer. So she decided to do her thesis for her um, for her um, finishing school uh, uh, of her uh, photography um, art um, degree. Um based on uh, on some of those stories that I would tell and that she took many photographs um, trying to not recreate, but I guess inspire her, uh, mm-hmm. you know, those stories to inspire the photographs. Yeah. So it became this thing where it was like photographs and uh and my stories, and it was kind of like it became this thing where it was like this could be something that could look like a visual product. So the people from um, of the it's a small theater uh, downtown. They offered me a residency to develop a show. So I started trying my stories uh, in their, in a small scenario that they have in a cafe concert kind of like situation. So then it became a show and Serena incorporated those pictures and uh, uh, Gogo Graham did my, uh, put my clothes together and another friend styled me and, uh, um, and it became a product, and, uh, and, uh, and 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 that became the knife cut both ways. And um, the name comes from uh, a quote from a meteorist when she says, "The sword cut both ways." Love that. That sounds like such a, a beautiful collaborative project with people who who you know and care about. Um, can you talk to us a little more about your process? You said you you didn't like sit down to write this. So 
was it mostly just out of stories that you've been telling? It's not written. It's not written oh. anywhere. Uh, we were trying, like, uh, uh, you know, to um, apply for a grant. And in order to get the grant, you had to show the the manuscript or the scripts of your show. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, we don't have one. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. So we couldn't apply for it, which is fine, you know. Um, but talks a lot, a lot. That talks a lot about the, you know, the kind of like classist uh, academic uh, side of, of of the art form mm-hmm. at times. Definitely. Right? Yeah. And how, you know, um, things uh, have to be in a certain way to be considered even for something like a grant. Um, so I'm, I'm not, I'm, I have no, 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 no grudges against it. It's just, it didn't happen and it's fine. Uh, but the show is a series of stories that live in my head and that they're slightly uh, different all the time, but they are the same. They're the same, but sometimes they lack details or they have extra details. Um, they usually do have a line and a, a beginning, a medium, and an end. Uh, but they are, they always sound different. They always have different, uh, different, uh, um, feelings that, um, are most likely how I feel that day telling those stories. Uh, so they are uh, real stories. Some of the stories are, um, m- all of the stories are uh, through events uh, that are not articulated chronologically. Some parts of the stories happen didn't happen in that chronological way, how I say, I, I, I put them out. Some details that happen uh, not in the story that I'm telling. I, I incorporate them because I think it makes the story funnier. Um, and uh, um, and some of the stories are uh, are a little bit embellished, and uh, some of the stories are what I wanted them to be instead mm-hmm. of what they were. And um, and that's for me to decide, right? So that's the beauty of it. I just creating something. That, um, that maybe it's not how it happened, it's how I want it to happen. And uh, and that has a, a certain level of beauty. Um, so those stories are basically the result of um, my immigration case. I had a very hard immigration case. I was um, arrested and uh, sent uh, to Rikers Island. Uh, from Rikers Island, I uh, was picked up by um, ICE and I was put in the uh, deportation procedures. And um, I think this is a, the only time in which I've been trans actually work in my favor. Because I was trans, they couldn't house me with, you know, ha- how they house you in, in jails are very binary places. Mm-hmm. And um, I was not safe in any of the ends of the spectrum of gender as they see it. Um, so they let me out with an ankle bracelet and I went to treatment and I applied for an asylum. And the asylum was really hard. It was really hard on me. Um, you know, lawyers lack a lot of sense 
sensitivity at times. Uh, so, you know, uh, just like telling like stories to support my immigration case, which was going to be something good, right? And, you know, mm -hmm. your asylum would be something great. But the process was like really intense, right? Because you have to like... You know, lawyers don't want to hear, like, the beauty of, you know, your childhood. They want to hear all the trauma, you know, mm -hmm. because they have to make a case of, like, why you should stay here. Mm -hmm. So it was very uh, traumatic for me. So as, the, as a result is that I started, uh, you know, putting in my head together some stories that made me happy about my childhood and my life in Argentina and I started telling those stories to people and people liked it and uh, Serena decided to do the pictures and all the things that I told you before that's that was how that's how the the process of this um show came about it was um, uh, a, it was the result of uh, a, a, a traumatic uh, um the relieving traumatic event mm -hmm. uh, it was some kind of like I need to find something that is beautiful about my uh, my childhood and teenager years and and and, and, and young adulthood uh, to remember that the life was also beautiful, right? That you know that that that's not who I am. I don't want to be reduced to this ball of trauma, you know. Mm -hmm. So as as a trans person, like you know, that was that was. It, in my asylum, but as a trans person, I feel like every time I'm invited to speak in spaces, people kind of like in a very morbid way, people want trans people to talk about their trauma. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I mm -hmm. think somehow... Uh, these people sometimes feel better about themselves when they know that trans people have a hard time with things that they don't. I don't know. So uh, I, I think like sharing so much trauma through my asylum case and, 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 and in general needed, needed this show for me to say like, it is beauty in my life. It is, it is fun in my life. It is, it is good moments. It is good people in my life too. Mm -hmm. And even of people who were not good to me at a time, they were also great to me at some times. And, and those things, you know, they're, I'm not going to define them by any of those two ends of, of, of their, how they behave with me or around me. So, um, this show, came to to remind me that I am not just my trauma and I am not just a bunch of terrible events. Oh. So empowering and like flipping the script and just also the non-binary way of telling your story too is just so inspiring yeah so. we need so many more like trans and queer joy pieces in the world so thank you for mm -hmm. creating that for us too yeah never enough <laughs> <laughs> and um like also how cool being an audience member knowing 
that because it's unscripted, right, it lives outside of these arbitrary rules we make for theater, that they really are getting that, like, once ever experience of hearing your stories. And yeah, so thank you for doing that, too. That That's so incredible. And I, I think that takes a level of bravery that a lot of performers are probably just, you know, not ready for to be that raw. <laughs> I, um, every time I'm about to come out, um, I decide right before what my first sentence is going to be. Wow. And that kind of dictates how the show is going to go, you know. And as I said, it has a structure in my head, but it fluctuates. And people who have seen it um, different times get different vibes and different feelings uh, about it. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, awesome. I can't believe that you have capacity to hold all those stories and yeah. like uh, from what I've seen, just tell them in such a hilarious and heartfelt way that it always like makes everyone um, die in laughter. It's great. <laughs> um, so, so talented. <laughs> Amazing. Um, can you tell us about uh, your experience working on Pose? And it's such an incredible and historic cast and, and creative team. What was that like? I it's hard to describe <laughs> the level of joy that I experienced um, doing that work. It's I would say you know it's, it's unparalleled. It's, it's 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 I think it's, it will be hard for me to. Uh, top that kind of joy, um, you know, from all the series. Like you know, I I I, I auditioned for it. Uh, you know, um, I saw some of the people that were auditioning for the same role, and I was like, I'm not getting this. You know, it was like actually, I think it was my first audition. Yeah, I, it was my first audition, the first time that audition for that, anything. Oh my wild. gosh. <laughs> <laughs> It was the first time that I auditioned for anything. Um, it was at January, and it was um, how do you call it? those big storms, snowstorm, north nor'easter? Uh, nor'easter. Yeah. It was a nor'easter. I was working, and they let us. They said they just go home because the storm is gonna get really bad. And I was like, I should go home. I'm not gonna go to this audition. And then the audition was on the way to the train. <laughs> so I was like, I'm just gonna stop here. And um, <laughs> and I auditioned, and I was like, I'm not getting this. And you know, usually, um, you know, the person who now is like my agent was like, if they don't call you back in a week, it's like you didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And they didn't call me back for like a month and a half. Oh, wow. And I was like, I definitely didn't get it. I was like, these are the people who were auditioned. They are there. Amazing. So they're going to be fine. And um, then uh, they called me and they said that if I wanted the role, I could get it. And um, as a trans person, I think like, it's not really unusual for me to perform, to, to navigate life, making it look like I know what I'm doing. You know, mm-hmm. I went to a set and I was never in a set before. I was never in an audition before. Nobody trained me on how to audition. 
nobody trained me on how to to be in front of a camera. But I just went there and I act as if, you know, and I, I did that with every job that I, you know, outside sex work, you know, when I applied for jobs, I went to places and I pretend that I knew what I was doing, you know, and and, and, and that's what I did with Pose. I just went there and like, I never been in front of a camera before. Wow. So, wow. <laughs> You can't tell. It was was such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful moment. The three seasons were like pure joy. But what I will remember the most and will, will lives in my mind is um, when we finish, uh, Butterfly cocoon, that is when I uh, take care of the body. Um, it was like three in the morning. We started working at 7 a.m. Uh, we were like very tired. Yeah. Um, Dominique had a terrible cold or flu or something. We were like just exhausted. Um, and when they wrapped, Janet Mock came to us and she said that. We just did an episode in a TV show played by three trans women of color, written by a trans woman and directed by a black trans woman. And it kind of like sink. It was like, oh, fuck. Like, Mm -hmm. this is like, this. I'm being part of something that is incredible. So I will always remember that moment when she said that. I was like, it's worth it to spend like this, like, incredible amount of hours, uh, you know, with this wig and these fucking nails and all of that. (laughs) So it was was so empowering. It was beautiful. I, I loved, I loved every moment of it. And what was it like for you when the show gained such like a wide audience, even beyond the queer community? What do you hope that folks, queer folks and non-queer folks take away from the show? I think it was very important for me. And let me see how it doesn't come across as a trashing any body i think i think everybody in the show was uh a folks in the younger side in the you know um uh more uh, skinny side more model-esque mm. uh side and um uh, younger uh um, um more in the uh, uh acceptable idea or beauty side. And I love that my character was none of that. And it was not an effort to make her look like beautiful or young or skinny or like, you know, she was who she was. And, uh, and she was also a person who, you know, who's, you know, the things that she did could be questioned. Right. And, 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 and that's fine. And she, she was, 
you know, a, a woman trying to make it, you know, a woman trying to make it and doing whatever she had to do to to survive in life, which it says so much about my 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 own experience. I feel like, you know, uh, it is like, you know, as I said before, like people want to hear the pain of our lives or people want to have uh, like an elevated uh, idea of trans people. And, you know, sometimes we can be as full of shit as anybody else, you know? <laughs> so I love, I think that, the, you know, all the characters were so real, but I think that my character was like, um, was so close to, I knew that person, you know, I, 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 I knew Miss Orlando. Uh, I, I, I hang out with Miss Orlando before, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those stories. It's, uh, I got goosebumps. Um, yeah, same. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I remember, see, this was like way pre-pandemic several years ago. I, I saw you portray uh, Sylvia Rivera in O Earth. And, you know, as one of the current leaders of the LGBTQ community, like, what do you hope to give future generations like Sylvia gave us? I would not. Uh, there to put myself anywhere close to uh, the level of uh, iconic um, status that Sylvia has. So I think, you know, from 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 what my identity brings to the conversation is an extra level of intersectionality that is the fact of like me being a person who was undocumented in this country for 10 years and uh, and a person who was able to navigate uh, the immigration system of this country with all its its terribleness uh, and survive it. Uh, so I think what I want to translate and maybe help create a sense of awareness is about the beauty of the undocumented community, the resilience of the undocumented community, um, the importance of sharing our experiences as people who were undocumented, who are or, or were or have a history of being undocumented in this country uh, and all its intersections uh, with life. So uh, that's what I, what I, what I want to, I guess, offer uh, as a, as someone who is somehow involved in activism. This is a perfect segue into our next question. And you're so involved with your activism, but also in creating your art. How do you balance that? And how do the two inform each other? Um, I think that everything that I do that is that 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 has like an uh, artistic 
um, part or an artistic side um, is an act of revolution, right? Um, uh, uh, just the fact that, you know, it's a trans woman with my history is on TV. A trans woman with my history is in a stage, you know, uh, that someone, you know, writes a character for me, you know, um, it's, 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 it's a revolutionary act. So, uh, you know, when I do work uh, as an actress or as a storyteller, um, I think on its own, you know, it's an act of uh, of revolution. And um, I, I, I don't make efforts to add anything to it. I just let it be as, as it is. So, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. Um, and you started the Trans Equity Consulting uh, Organization a couple of years ago. And can you tell us more about what kind of work you're doing there? Yes. Um, well, I was, um, it's a complicated um, narrative because, you know, I owe so much to nonprofits. You know, um, my career became, you know, I started on an internship at the LGBT Center. I went to work at APIC as a peer navigator. I became the coordinator of their clinic. I moved to policy at GMAC. So, you know, I grew so much in the nonprofit uh, world that, uh, you know, I, I pretty much am where I am because of, you know, they, they gave me an opportunity. At the same time, it's a little bit of resentment to, towards nonprofits because, you know, they're very specific spaces. And, um, you know, um, and I just, I'm a resentful person, I guess. <laughs> resentment comes naturally to me. <laughs> As someone who also, who currently works in a nonprofit, I totally understand the resentment, so. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad. So, you know, I was like, I want to create a space. I want to create the perfect space where I want to work. And that was not, it didn't leave anywhere in a nonprofit or in a corporation or any, or definitely not in government. So I wanted to create a space where I would be happy working and I had to create it myself. And that's why I started this company. And um, now we are 11 people working together and um, I am the leader, I'm, you know, um, I always say that they don't work for me. They work with me. Uh, but I also am the leader. You know, I lead this company. And uh, mm -hmm. we work with, uh, we try to help uh, um, entities to be as beautiful and empowering as we are. Uh, so we work with government, we work with nonprofits, we work with um, corporations uh, trying to create um, a sense of gender equity uh, that is intersectional and is comprehensive of 
gender identity. Uh, um, you know, I think like, you know, most of spaces, every time you think about like uh, gender equity, you know, it, what comes to mind is a cisgender woman, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think like, you know, it is important to elevate uh, the idea of gender equity to trans people and people of different experience in terms of gender identity. So that's what we do. And um, we are making a living with that. And that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> I was just going to say congratulations for getting out of the nonprofit industrial complex. <laughs> yeah. I work with many nonprofits now. So you know, <laughs> nonprofits are my clients now. So we are... I think that's really cool because like, you know, we, I'm also trying to help nonprofits not be as toxic, toxic mm -hmm. as they be, you know? Yeah. yeah that's awesome. Yeah. And it's on your terms too, which is great. Yeah. So, have you worked with any theaters or arts organizations? Um, I am working now with um, a marching band. <laughs> yes. And we are that. going to change that name. Oh, yes, that's that's so much fun. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Do you, what do you think the theater community could take from the work that you do? I think you know the theater community is really changing. I think it's it's taking more time that I I I I wish they would be taking. But I do see an opening to different experiences. So, you know, I, 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 I think it is, it is going where it has to go. I still think that it is, um, you know, um, it is a lot of uh, class and uh, academic, um, history in the theater community that is uh, not beneficial, let's put it that way, is not beneficial to uh, an artist who doesn't, who, who doesn't have that kind of upbringing, right? Uh, so uh, I, I think that it is much more space for the theater community to play with and investigate ways of creating um, a, a products that are beyond uh, academic conceptions. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, speaking, uh, yeah, theater is such a product. It is such a, like a commercial thing, even mm -hmm. the non-commercial spaces, yeah. Uh, um, and then do you have any advice for, for younger folks or not so young folks who are, who are trying to do more advocacy and activism work, uh, to get out there and do more? I think just do it. You know, uh, if, if you have an opportunity to, I think it's such a beautiful opportunity that, you know, I grew up in a dictatorship, you know, uh, I, you know, I, I know how it feels not to have a voice. It, I think that folks that 
did not experience that kind of oppression don't fully understand the importance of having a voice, right? And so, you know, in a dictatorship, you know, the, the two targets of uh, every oppressive uh, systems uh, are artists and queer people, right? So those are, you know, the, the, the most important targets of any oppressive um, system. And that says a lot, right? So for people who are queer and they're activists and they're or a in a, or they're queer and they are artists, uh, we hold so much power uh, in our narratives, right? That um, it creates a, a wonderful opportunity to shape the our present and the future. Um, so um, I invite everybody to to investigate how they can, you know, you don't have to be an official activist <laughs> or an official artist to create the things that you can in order to shape, you know, uh, society. You know, I, uh, I, uh, in my country, you know, I grew up um, learning, you know, of the resiliency that that comes from the artistic form, you know, and, uh, you know, songs that, you know, we didn't know had a meaning that was so much uh, deeper than the words of, of, of the, of the song, you know, when you, when you, you know that having having to to manipulate art to to come across with a message is that such a such a beautiful process thank you for that advice and that's yeah just sharing your story it can be powerful so thank you for that um moving on to the next section uh, that we call Queering the Canon. So we take stories that we know and imagine how they would be in a queer way. <laughs> so is there a play or a musical that you would like to see performed or um, reimagined with trans actors or trans characters? Um, it is a play that is a very um, known and popular in uh, the Spanish, uh, um, Hispanic, Latinx, I guess. No, Hispanic. I think it's not Latinx, it's Hispanic um, community called La Casa de Bernarda Alba, which is a story of a mother with many, many daughters. Um, and I dream with uh, doing um, La Casa de Bernarda Alba uh, with all trans actresses. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, you got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> that <would be> great. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I also think that, you know, so many of the characters that we see in theater or in, in TV um, don't need to be cis. Yeah. It's not. It's not a necessity mm -hmm. for like 
90% of the characters that we see in theater on TV do not need to be seized. They are just seized because, you know, yeah, because, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I you know, my friend, my friend Jess Barbagallo uh, wrote um, a character for one of his plays that was for me and, you know, uh, the character was a nurse. It was a nurse. It was not mentioned if she was trans or cis or like, mm -hmm. you know, it was a nurse. Yeah. I was navigating a situation as a nurse. The, 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 the meat of the character was being a nurse. And, it, you know, it was like such a wonderful opportunity to just say, like, you know, I'm, I'm a person who's acting and it's, you know, uh, putting my experiences into a character who is a nurse but is not conceived to be a trans person you know it's, it's conceived to be a nurse mm -hmm. and yeah. that's, that's such a beautiful opportunity yeah yeah definitely because there are trans people who are nurses too <laughs> correct <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, and then outside of theater, um, this is our queer culture rec. Uh, do you have like a queer culture indulgence? It's like a book or a movie or an event, something like that. I love, I can watch um, Dangerous Liaisons like all day long. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's, that movie is so fucking queer. Playing uh, <laughs> clothes, coming down of that carriage with that hat and looking up. It's so fucking queer. Um, <laughs> I, I can watch and I, I am um, I such a crush on uh, John Malkovich. Uh, young John Malkovich, old John Malkovich. I have a crush on John Malkovich. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that in a long time. I'll have to revisit. Yeah, yeah oh, maybe. <laughs> when she comes down the carriage and you see her hat, and then you know you see her face changing from like you know hating everything to to being totally fake, and she's like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, my it's my favorite. It's my favorite scene in life. <laughs> Oh, now, yeah, we're going to rewatch it, Holly, and we'll think of you, Cecilia, during the hat yeah. moment. <laughs> That's so great. Um, and then almost to the end here, one of our last sections is uh, Queer Gives. So we like to shout out a person, a mutual aid fund, or an organization, um, anyone who you think is doing great work in the queer community. It could be your own organization um, <laughs> that you would like our listeners to learn more about and support. I uh, am absolutely in awe of the work that um, my sister, Tony Michelle uh, Williams, is doing in Atlanta. Uh, her organization is called um, Solutions Not Punishment, and they are badass. <laughs> uh, and also folks of uh, uh, Brave Space Alliance in Chicago are amazing to uh, St. James Infirmary in, in San Francisco. Amazing work and that they do to um, people like Colin Lord here in the city. 
and you know yeah so 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 cool to be able to have a clinic for sex workers you know mm. amazing. so yeah i can keep going and going and going so i'm gonna stop <laughs> thank you that was <laughs> great yeah uh and finally how can folks follow you online uh my um my uh business is transgender equity consulting and you can find it at transequityconsulting.com um and um in uh, social media i am cecilia gentili in facebook cecilia gentili 72 in instagram and cecilia gentili in twitter and i do not have tiktok because i refuse to make an effort to be young and relevant. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be my line when people are like, why aren't you on TikTok? (laughs) I refuse to be young and relevant. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today. It was such an honor to speak with you. Um, And thank you for all the work that you're doing. Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun and um, I appreciate you all uh, putting the voices of uh, people like me out there. So thank you for doing this work and um, it was uh, so much fun to hang out with, with both of you. Thank you for listening to our last episode of season two. We will be on hiatus until spring 2022, but our DMs are open. Keep us up to date on shows to see, actions to help uplift our community, and your queer culture wrecks. See you soon, queers. Happy holidays. (laughs) (laughs) Today's action of the app is to learn more about Well, this was inspired by Holly and I's trip to the center's (laughs) bookstore yesterday. The, um, Bureau, oh gosh, Bureau Bureau of General Services, Queer Division, Services, Services. I was going to say studies. Um, Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.